You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast pace. They can go no huddle. They can go two tight ends. They can go play action. They can take shots down the field. They can run the ball with Cam. I love the options here. Opinionated. Mac Jones was a safe pick, but his ceiling is just Kirk Cousins. To the point, the Red Sox are better than I expected. I still don't think they're winning the division. The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show back at it on a Monday right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Short show today. We go up until 6.10. We get you ready for Red Sox and Blue Jays, first of four, and another big series at Fenway Park. We'll also get you ready for Patriots training camp, which opens up this week when Doug Kide of Pro Football Focus joins us at 5.45. And Part-time Jack is back after a week of vacation, so he's back at it. He and I will have some more discussion today on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel, so subscribe to us there on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. By the way, before we get started, an unbelievable game yesterday for the Red Sox and just an unbelievably weird weekend. I said last week, you can go find the tapes, I said it, I thought the Red Sox would take three or four from the Yankees. I thought that they would really bury the Yankees in the AL East race. But I had no idea that it was going to happen like this. Friday was the only game that happened the way it was supposed to. Thursday night, Red Sox had no business winning that one. Yankees with the four wild pitches and blowing the two-run lead the ninth. Saturday... Red Sox should have won. They had no business losing that one after a great start from Evaldi. And then yesterday, from almost being no hit to winning in spectacular fashion, Sox had no reason to win that one. So a weird but memorable weekend at the ballpark. Sox showed some unbelievable toughness, some great resilience. They showed some flaws, too, some flaws that I've said they've had all season. But at the end of the day, they win three of four. They're still in first place in the AL East. And they've pushed the Yankees to nine games back, and they have pretty much put them out of the division discussion and you know, kind of pigeonholed them to wild card or bust. Baseball taketh and it giveth. Yes, a great, it was a weird, weird weekend. You can get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Jack, let's get going. Five, four, three, two, one. The opening thoughts of the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. And they're online at sticksandstuff.com. We are just days away from the Major League Baseball trade deadline, and the contending teams around baseball are starting to make moves. Rays acquired Nelson Cruz. Padres yesterday got all-star second baseman Adam Frazier from the Pirates. Contending teams are starting to make moves. The question is this, 802-585-3026, is there now pressure on Haim Bloom to make a move for the Red Sox? Other teams around him are making moves. Is there pressure on Haim Bloom? John Tomasi, who covers the Red Sox for NBC Sports Boston, he says, yes, there is pressure for Haim Bloom to act. This is a Red Sox team in a season with no clear favorite that can win a World Series with the right pieces. And if they let money get in the way of that, when Tampa did, Tampa took on five million bucks roughly of Nelson Cruz. If the Red Sox don't want to spend at this deadline, that is going to be a major disappointment. Look, first off, I don't think that money is going to be an issue. If they need to add payroll, especially some paltry $5 million amount, in order to win, I think they're going to do it. So, again, money's not going to be the issue to me. But the bigger question at hand, is there pressure on High and Bloom to make a move? John Tomasi says that it would be a disappointment if they don't. I think there's two kinds of pressure that we need to recognize here. There's the external pressure to make a move. That comes from fans in the media. And then there's the internal pressure to make a move. The ownership group, the players, 
the on-field staff. So there's two distinct kinds of pressure. As far as the media and the fans go, the John Tomases and the Brady Farkases of the world aren't gonna aren't gonna persuade High and Bloom to do anything. There is zero external pressure on High and Bloom to do something here at the deadline. High and Bloom has a plan for the organization. You may not agree with it. You may not agree with his build the farm system and don't mortgage the future plan, but he has a plan and he's disciplined enough to stick to that plan. Again, High and Bloom was on the Believe podcast with Steve uh, Lyons and Sean McAdam last week. And Jack, I've got this cut. Here is what High and Bloom said yesterday, as far or this week rather, as far as what he believes in at the deadline. I, I think we just need to stay true to the the goal that we've outlined here for the last year and a half, which is we're trying to deliver championship caliber baseball to Red Sox fans every year. That's obviously a lofty goal. Uh, it's not easy to accomplish, but if we mean that then we have to act like it he has a plan he's disciplined enough to stick to it he says there that uh he's not going to you know jeopardize the, the whole future for one year he wants to deliver you know championship caliber baseball every single year so if you're a Sox fan who's looking at max scherzer or wants them to trade for jose barrios it's just not going to happen High and Bloom is not going to do that. So the external pressure from the media and the fans means nothing. But the internal pressure, I think that's a different story. I think High and Bloom does have internal pressure to make a move here. You have to send a message to your team that you are invested in them. And it's a fine line because this Red Sox team has among the best records in baseball as constructed. You don't need to go out and replace 18 guys and upset team chemistry and balance. But you do need to show this team that you believe in them. This team has overachieved. They have done everything that you've asked as an organization. They've worked hard. They've played with energy. They deserve to be invested in. Again, not a ton of huge moves. Nothing that jeopardizes the future, but some supplements to the bullpen, another starter, a versatile offensive piece, a guy who can run, the little things that can help augment this team going into August, into September, and into October. Alex Cora has done everything you've asked. He's been humble about his mistakes in Houston. He's been transparent. He's been a positive role model for the organization. He's helped develop some of the young players again on this roster that kind of stunted their growth last season. Cora deserves to be invested in. This ownership group who took a chance on High and Bloom, deserves to have their chance rewarded, and these players deserve an opportunity to chase October greatness. I am with High and Bloom. I want sustainable greatness, too, all the time. But there is still greatness this year in front of you. Don't upset the future like he wants, but this team deserves to be invested in. External pressure doesn't exist. Internal pressure does. It's the Brady Farkas Show. Right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Jack, you don't like some of what High and Bloom is doing here. You seem yeah. to think he's chasing something that's, you know, impossible. And I think you're kind of flipping back over to my side here. Because no. you're kind of, you know, yeah, you, you were, you're, you're behind the High and Bloom. You were, out last, you were out last week. Okay, yeah. You were gone last week. I would trade Michael Chavis in a heartbeat. I would trade Jay Groom in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. I would trade any prospect not named Duran, Wong, Seabold, anyone that we really care about. Jeter. Yeah, Jeter Downs. I don't want to trade those guys. But if you want to trade prospects 11 and 18, or you want to trade Chavis, that doesn't matter to me. I'm fine with that. Okay. But I still don't want to trade any of the people that Heim Bloom doesn't want but to trade. But you've been saying, you know, you're behind Heim Bloom in this whole sustainable future. But now we're starting to hear a little, yeah, but this year's important, too. This year's important too, but on the peripherals, on the peripheries of the roster. I just think that I don't. You don't need to go get Craig Kimbrell and upset the balance there with Matt Barnes and Adavino and Craig, what those guys. What have if done. Kimbrell doesn't cost a Cassis? What if he doesn't cost a Durant? Sure, but he's not going. Sure, sure. If you if you can get with your mid to bottom third farm system. If you can go and get one of the premier closers in the game for your 20th prospect, which for 
good farm systems is like the 40th best prospect, then sure, you can't, which is why I have discounted it from the start. You seem to think, though, that building a sustainable winner is not possible. I don't. A, a constant winner. Yes. So you would rather, it sounds like, have what we had before. Win the World Series in 2018, take two years off, rebuild the whole thing, be back at it again in 2021, yeah. win it again, and then be awful for two years. That's You seem to be okay with that, I'm and not, a lot of fans are. I'm not okay with being awful. Because every year I want to, I, every, every year I want to go into spring training and I want to think that the team has a chance to win the World Series. But, However, I understand that after, you know, two months into the season, that the team is not going to be playoff ready. But see, that's what High and Bloom wants. High and Bloom wants to be relevant and have a seat at the table every year, and that's what you just told me you want. But you just told me you think it's impossible. I do because we all know every year every team goes into spring training and they think they're the one that's going to be hosting the commissioner's trophy, that piece of metal, as Rob Manfred so so candidly put it. But it's just not possible. Uh, and Kyle Bloom wants to make the postseason every year. You can't make the postseason every year the way Major League Baseball currently is operating. I think it's completely possible to build a sustainable winner, and I think it's completely possible to be See, in the I conversation think, every I single think, year. I think you're caught up in this honeymoon nah, phase. Look at the I teams. I really do. Look at the teams who are good around baseball. They've built really good cores from within. That core then grows. They you sign a few outside guys, if you or your guys go away, if you come in and replace them from the farm system, the cycle feeds itself. Look at the Astros. I understand they were awful for years. They build from within. They get pretty good. They add Granke, Verlander, Brian McCann, Michael Brantley. They add all those guys along the way. They're still pretty good. Then they lose some guys. Springer leaves. Some guys get older. Some guys get hurt. But boom, internal options come and replace them. And here they are, tied for the best record in the American League. Hold on. The Dodgers build from within. Kershaw, Jansen, Bellinger, Seeger, Bueller, Urias. They make some savvy moves. Chris Turner, uh, Chris, uh, Justin Turner, Chris Taylor, Max Muncie. Flex some muscles to get Mookie Betts. The Dodgers, nine years in a row, I believe, they've won the NL West. Sustainably good. We think the Padres are good for a long time coming. Why? They've built up the system. They've spend when, spent when appropriate. They've cashed in those lottery tickets for big trades. They look set up for a long time. So, you can build what we think are sustainable winners and be sustainably good. The teams that have thrown money at things, the Yankees have thrown money, bad. The Nationals have thrown money, bad. The team, the Pirates... They won a World Series in the last two I understand years. that, but they're not sustainably good. The Pirates, they, they threw everything at one run to make the playoffs. And in doing so, they got rid of Tyler Glasnow, Austin Meadows, and this kid, uh, Shane Batts or whatever, who's the number four prospect in baseball. Teams, you can be sustainably good. You just have to do it smart, and that's what Bloom is trying to do. How many teams, with the exception of the Giants, have won multiple World Series this decade with the same core? There would be just the Giants, but... So that tells you right now that you cannot be a consistent World Series contender. The Astros did it, but the Astros had external factors in them. The Dodgers did it, but they also had to go out and they had to buy the pieces to go win their World Series. You can absolutely be at the table every year. We think about it in the NFL, okay? Uh, Patriots were at the table every year. The Steelers were at the table every year for a long time. The teams that won free agency never won. Cleveland didn't win. The Jets didn't win. Detroit didn't win. Teams that throw money at things and don't draft and develop don't win. I you don't... can be sustainably good in the NFL, Jack, in the in the NFL and the MLB. Let me let me end it with this thought here, Jack. You want to buy a one million dollar house, okay? You only have eight hundred thousand. You're pretty close, but you don't have the million. A guy comes to you and says, "Hey, I'll get you the million," and you give him your eight hundred thousand. He gets you the house, but boom. Pretty long after that, you can't make the payments, and the guy comes to try to break your kneecaps. So you go with the quick fix. It's there, and then a very quick fall. High and Bloom is the guy who says, you know what? I'm going to stick with my 800000 I'm going to make a couple moves on my own, a couple investments here and there, and now I'll be able to be in my house forever, comfortably, making my payments, and I'm never going to get my kneecaps broken. You want to get your kneecaps broken. You want the one-year quick gratification, and then we'll see what happens. We did that with Dave Dombrowski. And you know what? And he I was fired less than a year after they won a World Series. Because the organization no longer can handle that. If you told me as a fan I'd win the World Series and then be irrelevant for two years, I could probably be okay with that. 
but most of Red Sox Nation didn't seem to be okay with going 24-36 and 36 and finishing behind the Orioles last year in the AL East. So if you're not okay with that, then you need to be okay with this. And what this is, is trying to erase the one-up, two-down, one-up, two-down nature of what the Red Sox have been doing. So if you don't like what we saw last year, you better like this. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Exciting times for the Red Sox. Again, they open up a series with the Blue Jays tonight, but it's also exciting times for the Patriots. They report to camp this week. A ton of money spent on the offense. A ton of money spent on the defense. Which unit will actually be the most improved unit in 2021? Doug Kine, Pro Football Focus, next on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Back in Brady Farkas show right here on a Monday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I want to transition away from the Red Sox great win last night and move over to the Patriots since we are your home for Patriots football and the Pats open up training camp this week to help us break it down is Doug Kide, formerly Patriots reporter over at Nesson, but now just took a new job over at Pro Football Focus. So Doug, thanks for being with us. How are you? Absolutely. I'm doing well, Brady. How are you doing? Good. Excited for Patriots football. Um, we played this game last week. I'm going to ask you this question now. Fill in the blank. The Patriots season is a success if. Patriots season is a success, I'd say, if they make the playoffs. I think that that's, that's a pretty good ground floor, I'd say, for the 2021 Patriots. Clearly, they missed the playoffs last season. But after making as many moves as they did, I think that, you have to expect them to at least be in contention for the playoffs, uh, and you would hope that they would actually make the postseason after spending as much money as they did because they've got so many of those guys on low salaries this season as well. This might be really the best year to compete Ooh. before those salaries balloon a little bit, and they'd be, willing, they'd be able to spend less money next season and in the future. With the money spent on offense... And the money spent on defense, coupled with Dante Hightower coming back, which unit do you think is more improved this season? I think I'd actually say the defense. The defense was in rough shape last season. I mean, you had guys on the defensive line and, and at linebacker in some games who would, you know, barely crack a practice squad in yep. normal years. You know, you had, uh, like, no offense to these guys. I'll list some of the names, but, you know, you had Therese Hall starting games. You had Nick Thurman playing a lot. Uh, Carl Davis was brought off the street. Akeem Spence. Now it really feels like they've got legitimate NFL players at a lot of those positions. And beyond even you know, signing Matt Judon, getting Dante Hightower back. You've got guys on defense like Kyle Duggar and Josh Uche who should be able to take a pretty significant step forward now in 2021. So I expect the Patriots' defense to be one of the best in the NFL. Didn't even bring up you know, Kyle Van Noy, Jalen Mills, some of these other guys. The offense certainly will take a major step forward this season, but you're still talking about one of the weaker pass-catching cores in the NFL that is surrounding Cam Newton and Mac Jones. Really good offensive line, solid group of running backs, uh, but I just expect the defense to be one of those top-tier units, which would be a significant leap forward from last season. On that defense, Stephon Gilmore is kind of the anchor of that defense. He has reported to camp. He's on the pup list to start, but where do you think this ends up for Gilmore? I think ultimately he sticks around. I think that that's the most likely set of situations, whether that is, you know, with a one-year contract bump, something similar to what we saw last year, uh, even though they can't borrow that money out, they kind of have to rip up the deal and give them a new one-year deal, or with an extension. I just think that that's the most likely circumstance, especially with them coming off the quad injury. I think that teams might be hesitant to trade for a cornerback who's, you know, 30 years old on the last year of his contract and give up what would make it worth it for the Patriots to give up one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL, if healthy. Doug Kide, Pro Football Focus, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. What was your experience like last year covering the team in the COVID year, and what was it like covering Cam? What did you think of him overall? It was definitely a strange year. I wish that I would have gotten a chance to get to know Cam Newton better. I think that we got to know him pretty well, or as well as we possibly could, through those Zoom conference calls. Um, very, very good guy from everything that we experienced. Uh, held himself very accountable. Obviously, we saw that every week, win or loss. Um, so 
I don't know. Like I said, I wish that I would got would have got to know him a little bit better because it was such a unique experience covering Tom Brady for as many years that I did that, you know, being on a beat, I would have liked to have been in the locker room and been there in person uh, with Cam Newton since you know, I only covered, what, four games that Tom Brady didn't play previously, and those were the yeah. games started by Jimmy Garoppolo and and, uh, and Jacoby Brissett. But overall, definitely a strange year where everything was via Zoom. I will say, though, that, you know, give credit where it's due. Patriots usually aren't known as a team that's accommodating to the media, but we were getting more players than probably any other team on those daily Zoom conference calls. So, you know, shout out to Stacey James. They really did do a good job of making the best of a bad situation. You know, I'm, I think it's probably different for every player, the having fans in the building again versus not having fans in the building. I think some guys were probably aided by not having fans in the building. I don't know how this is going to go for Cam. I can see a scenario where he's uplifted by the fans and rides the momentum and plays better. Or I could see a scenario where he struggles and the fans get on him and he's even worse. How do you think the fans impact Cam in 2021? I mean, I think Patriots fans would be extremely impatient <laughs> with, mm. with the quarterback situation. Um, simply because they brought in Mac Jones. And if Cam Newton throws an interception or even if he you know, throws a ball at a wide receiver's feet, Fans are going to be clamoring for Mac Jones, and they will be in the stadium to do so. So I think that that puts a lot of pressure on Cam Newton. But, I mean, Cam Newton's a guy who's faced a lot of pressure throughout his NFL career, uh, you know, going back to, to high school and college at Florida and Auburn, the Carolina Panthers and the Super Bowl, all those things. So, you know, I could see a situation where that uplifts Cam a little bit, where he, maybe he steps up to the pressure of having fans in the building a little bit more because last year was just – so weird without fans in the stadium and especially a place like Gillette Stadium where you know it's not the loudest stadium just simply because of how it's built with the open end zone and the White House and everything but there's just a vibe and an aura around Gillette Stadium you know given the last 20 years of the Patriots Patriots success and that's something that Cam Newton didn't get to experience yet as a home player so I'm really curious to see how he does face that pressure how he stands up to it but like I said, I mean, Cam Newton's faced a lot of pressure throughout his NFL career, so that's certainly something that could actually help him just as much as it could hurt him with maybe the, the quick trigger finger that Patriots fans want at the quarterback position. I hate two-part questions. I never try to ask them, but I'm going to break my own rule and ask one now. <laughs> um, what do you think of the way Nikhil Harry's camp has handled this offseason, and do you think Harry is on the team come week one? It's just a tough situation overall. I don't think that demanding a trade was the smart move there for, for his camp, especially since he really didn't show up much during spring practices, OTAs, yeah. and minicamp. Um, he's had a really disappointing start to his career. You can demand a trade if you're Chandler Jones. That report came out yesterday. Obviously, like Xavier Howard with the Dolphins, he's uh, he skipped minicamp and with getting 10 interceptions or whatever he did last season, he's a guy who could say, hey, I'd prefer you trade me. When you only have, what, like 400 yards over the first two years of your NFL career, you can't really be making demands. And I think the statement that was put out by Nikhil Harry's agent, you know, praising him and saying how he's good at everything, well, we haven't seen that yet. So ultimately, I'd say that just based on how the Patriots wide receiver position is constructed, it still seems pretty likely that Nikhil Harry's on the team. If he's not, it would be Isaiah Zuber or Christian yeah. Wilkerson or, you know, Trey Nixon, who was a seventh round pick this season. There's just not that obvious name who's going to step into that fifth wide receiver role. So I think that Nikhil Harry certainly enters training camp with a leg up on that competition. But if he falters and then after the fact that they demanded a trade, I don't think that Bill Belichick would be hesitant at that point to cut bait with him because it almost seems like that trade demand shifted the the public favor in the Patriots way almost just based on you know it seems like a lot of people were kind of laughing at the trade demand and it would look bad for the Patriots to trade or release a, a first round pick from 2019 but at the same time if he's going to cause an issue then it almost forces it a little bit more Cam Akers out for the season in Los Angeles with the Rams um I advocated last week. I said the Patriots should call the Rams and try to offer up Sony Michelle for a late round draft pick. Um, I don't know that that's likely, but do you think that Sony Michelle really is needed on this team? It's tough because, I mean, technically he was last season. You know, Damian Harris had a good season, but he was injured at the beginning of it and he was injured at the end. So 
I think that one thing to go back to here in this situation is looking back at the 2015 season when the Patriots you know, got in the playoffs, they were in the AFC Championship game, and they had to rely on Steven Jackson and Brandon yeah. Bolden to be their running backs in the playoffs. You look at 2018, Sonny Michelle went down for a, for a stint, and then they really only had Cordero Patterson, yeah. their wide receiver and kick returner, and James White, a third-down pass catcher, as their running backs. It seems like it, since that point, the Patriots have overcompensated by trying to add five deep bodies at the running back position. I think that that's what they could do this season. That being said, they kind of go a little bit more six deep right now. If you're looking at Damian Harris, Sonny Michelle, Ramondre Stevenson, uh, Brandon Bolden, J.J. Taylor, and James White. So that's six running backs right there. So one of them does become expendable. If J.J. Taylor looks really good during training camp and preseason, if Ramondre Stevenson looks really good during training camp and preseason, then, yeah, maybe you could trade Sonny Michelle because if you don't want to give up those guys, if you don't want to you know, expose them to the waiver process, then, yeah, it might be easier to trade Sonny Michelle for something and then keep around the younger guys who are cheaper and who are signed past this season. Doug Kide, Pro Football Focus, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on this Monday. I'll get you out of here on two quick questions. Not named Mac Jones, the Patriots rookie you're most excited about at camp that we should be following is who? That's a really good question. Um, I guess just as far as training camp goes, Christian Barmore, the second-round pick, just because we didn't get to see much of him during minicamp and, and uh, OTAs, just because the pads aren't on, you don't really get yeah. that much out of defensive tackles. He was kind of on and off the practice field. He said that um, he, he had a kind of a bad reaction to the to the vaccination, so that caused him to miss some time. So I think that he would be the guy that I would be the most excited about. But really, Ronnie Perkins is right up there with him, the third-round pick out of Oklahoma. He was one of the most impressive rookies that I saw just on film uh, after the Patriots draft, uh, you know, drafted their full draft class. So I would go bar more, but Perkins is right up there with him. You've moved over from Nesson and the Patriots speed to covering the whole league at Pro Football Focus. Uh, what are you going to be doing so we can all follow along? Yeah, I'll just be I'll, I'll be reporting on the entire league. I'll be their their national NFL reporter uh, along with Ari Mayrov. They've expanded to news coverage, which I'm really excited about. It's something that we can kind of build up uh, from the ground up, and and yeah, I'll be uh, just reporting on all 32 NFL teams, and then you know writing stories on on players and features that I find really interesting. So it's a job that I'm. I'm very excited for it. It's going to be a really cool opportunity and a really good challenge. Well, even though you'll be covering the whole league, you are—you never forget your first. Your Patriots knowledge <laughs> sure. will not go away, so we will be bringing you on again here at points through the past season. So, Doug Kide, we appreciate you. Good luck with the new job. We'll talk to you again soon. For sure. Thank you, Brady. Absolutely. Doug Kide is a must-follow if you are a Patriots fan. And, again, expanding his profile professionally over to Pro Football Focus, and they're lucky to have him, and we will bring him on again through the course of the NFL season. I am so pumped about our coverage for Patriots season. Simultaneously, we're going to have the Red Sox going for a championship and the Patriots season here, uh, you know, potentially both of them, you know, overlapping deep into October. That's certainly the goal. We will have a lot of stuff uh, for the Pats this year, and I can't wait to share it all with you. So uh, good stuff there from Doug. We'll continue to react to it here over the course of the week as the Pats go to uh, go to training camp this week as well. All right, when we come back after the CBS News update, I've got a crazy idea for the Red Sox. I really can't believe I'm saying this. That's next on DEV. Now it's back with Brady Parker's show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox baseball coming up seven minutes from now. Sox and Blue Jays will have it for you game one of a crucial four-game series. The show brought to you in part by Evan Hallstrom Racing. Evan Hallstrom, an 18-year-old driver out of Northfield, Vermont, races on the Pro All-Star Series for the Super Late Models. He's raced at Thunder Road before, and certainly I'm pumped. to. I'm going to be out at Thunder Road on Thursday for WDEV night. Part-time Jack, if you want to come to uh, Thunder Road, let us know. But it's a Thursday night. There's Thursday night. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna be here, so might as well. WDEV night. We'll all be there, hanging out with the crew. So uh, Evan Holstrom has raced at Thunder Road before. He's an 18-year-old again, and uh, one of the top young drivers in Vermont. Red Sox lineups in about five minutes, but I gotta say this: this is a crazy idea, and I know it's a crazy idea, but I'm starting to talk myself into this. 
buying if, for right now and screwing the future? If money isn't an issue, I'm starting to wonder if the Red Sox should acquire Eric Hosmer from the Padres. The Padres are itching to get rid of Eric Hosmer's contract. He's got four years and $56 million left after this year. So basically, he's got the rest of this year plus four more. He's probably got approximately four and a half years left and about $64 million. I know that's a lot. It's a lot of money for a guy who isn't as good as he, as he used to be. But I'm going back and forth on this internally, and I'm talking myself into this. The Padres want out from Hosmer's contract. And in order to do that, they're willing to give up significant prospect value. That comes from Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. So basically, I think the Padres could give the Red Sox, you know, give the Red Sox Hosmer, but also give them prospects. High and Bloom, I believe, could acquire Hosmer and buy prospects. This is exactly what he did in the offseason with Adam Adovino. The Yankees didn't want the $8 million that Adovino was owed. Bloom said, we'll pay it, but you're giving us a prospect too. He bought a prospect. I'm wondering if High Bloom could do that here with Eric Hosmer. Bloom wants to rebuild the farm system. We talk about the future all the time. If High Bloom want, can buy prospects without having to give up anything but money, that's a huge win to me. He has been turning over every stone to find talent. This is another stone I think would work. High and Bloom could infuse more talent at no other player or prospect cost just by you know, acquiring Hosmer. And second, Jack, you want to invest in the now. Mm-hmm. I think Eric Hosmer could help this team try to win a World Series. I know he's not worth the money he's being paid, but we've talked about the need for a left-handed hitting first baseman, and Hosmer's a guy hitting 270. He's got an OPS 40 points higher than Bobby Dahlbeck does. He could add a lefty bat to this lineup. Heck, if you want to play him every day, he's got completely even splits. He hits lefties just as well as he hits righties, so he could, impl- he could replace Dahlbeck entirely. He doesn't hit for a ton of power, but in this lineup, he doesn't need to. He hits for average. He doesn't strike out. He's won a World Series before. He could benefit from a deep lineup and a better hitting ballpark. I think Eric Hosmer can win, can help the Red Sox win this year. I think he can probably help next year when the Red Sox presume to have a window that's still open. I know the prospects can help. I get it. The end of the deal could be a bottomless pit. They could be left with three years and $36 million for a 35-year-old who's no good. I understand that. But if money doesn't matter, Bloom can buy prospects, can buy a first, group, first base upgrade this year, and I think can have Hosmer for at least this year and one more where he can hold down the fort until Tristan Cassis is here. Money is the only reason for the Red Sox to not make this deal. And if money doesn't matter, I think I'm starting to talk myself into this. It's a great idea. It's, it helps the right now. It even helps down the line. And Eric, Os- Eric Hosmer is still an above-average hitter who plays every single day. Yeah, he's... And Look, he's durable, and he's a great defensive first baseman. Multi-time Gold Glove winner. He he's not worth the eight years and 170 no, million dollars. Still an above-average hitter in this league, and that's what Boston needs at first base right now. So, if Hosmer, if you can get Hosmer, and it's just so basically, you got to think about this as two separate trades, and we're going to get into this on the expanded podcast version of the show here. You know, you and I are going to talk about this. Think about this as two separate trades, basically. Hosmer's being acquired for just money. That's it. There's no player there. It's Hosmer for money. And then the Padres are also going to kick in two prospects. Well, you're probably going to have to give up something to get those two prospects. But what is it? I don't think it's as much as you think. So uh, we'll talk about that. And I will tell you this. I'd be willing to make that one player Bobby Dahlbeck. You talk about just getting rid of the problem altogether. I'd get rid of Dahlbeck. I acquire Hosmer, and I let him hold the seat down until Tristan Cassis gets here in a couple of years. So it's a lot of money. And it may blow up at the back end. I think it works. But Hosmer helps this year and next. The prospects help forever, which is what Bloom wants. That's what I want. I think this is the best of both worlds. And he's left-handed. I would strongly 
consider this. Red Sox baseball comes up 60 seconds from now. Sox and Blue Jays at Fenway Park. Nick Pavetta's on the mound for Boston. He's 8-4 with a 4-3-7. The lineup he's going up against is George Springer, the DH for Toronto, hitting 233. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is at 326. He bats second and plays first. Marcus Semien's in the three spots today, playing second. Bo Bichette bats clean up at shortstop. The all-star Teoscar Hernandez is in right. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is in left. Randall Grichik's in center. Kevin Biggio's at third. And Reese McGuire is the catcher. Blue Jays don't have a starting pitcher listed. We had heard it might be Thomas Hatch, but we'll all be surprised when we get the official lineups from uh, the Red Sox radio network here momentarily. Kike Hernandez leads off. He's at short. Jaron Duran's at center. JD's in right. Rafael Devers is at third. Hunter Renfro's in right. Verdugo's in left. Vasquez is the catcher. Franchi Cordero's at first. Michael Chavis is at second. Sander Bogarts is out. Red Sox baseball is next. You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast, brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center, with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online always at sticksandstuff.com. Welcome back into the Brady Farkas Show, exclusive podcast version, so the expanded conversation here on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. I want to appreciate Doug Kide for joining us in the live version of the show. We're going to bring back in part-time Jack here at some point and play a little bit more, uh, you know, play a little roulette when it comes to the Red Sox and the trade deadline market. But, uh, you know, I was talking at the end of the live version of the show about talking myself in to the idea of the Red Sox absorbing Eric Hosmer's contract, you know, while also getting a couple of prospects that can help in the future. And, and Jack looked at me after the show live and said, Brady, what would you have to give up in that deal, though? Would it be worth it, you know, from what you have to give up from that standpoint? Would the deal be worth it? And I started thinking to myself, what would you have to give up as the Red Sox in order to acquire Hosmer, his contract, and then a couple of prospects? I'm saying two. I really don't think that it's as much as you think it is. It's another reason why I'm talking myself into this deal being way more of a reality than I would have thought 24 hours ago or six weeks ago. You have to think about this potential trade in two parts. One, Eric Hosmer is being traded for money. That's it. There is no real transaction there. Eric Hosmer is being traded for money. For salary relief. If the Red Sox take all or most of his deal, that's the trade. Hosmer for money. So then it becomes part two of the trade. There's the, I'm saying two prospects that the Padres would send to the Red Sox. What would the Red Sox have to give back? Well, the Red Sox are trying to win a World Series this year. They're not giving a significant portion of their major league roster. So they're not giving up Duran. They're not giving up Verdugo. They're not giving up uh, Tanner Houck. They're not giving up a huge part of their major league roster who's young and controllable. What about top prospects? Well, I don't think the Red Sox are going to give away a top prospect just to go get two other prospects. That's not how this works. That's not why it's appealing to High and Bloom. So I think that all you would need to give up in my deal is Bobby Dahlbeck. And that's a deal that I would make. I'm usually not a fan of mortgaging the future or giving up prospects or trading draft picks. I'm usually not that guy. In this case, I am. Bobby Dahlbeck has way too much swing and miss in his game. And I think I have internal answers that can help you know, me overcome the loss of Dahlbeck. If I get Hosmer, he plays first base more for the rest of this year. I don't need Dahlbeck. I think Hosmer could still be a useful major league player. Next year in 2022, I don't need Dahlbeck. And by 2023, maybe Hosmer is still good enough to play for me. Heck, he'll have three years left on his deal. So maybe he's still good enough to play for me, or maybe by that point Tristan Cassis is there. And I will have gotten around the Bobby Dahlbeck absence. Dahlbeck goes to San Diego, can play first base for them, can go back to the minor leagues if they want, and can and can get his seasoning, but... I think Dahlbeck could go to San Diego and be a part of what they're doing and save them a bunch of money, which is what their goal is in getting rid of Hosmer. So I get Hosmer, I get the prospects, I take on all or most of that deal, and all I think I have to give up is Bobby Dahlbeck. That's it. 
I think the Padres would do it. They just got Adam Frazier. He can play second. Jake Cronenworth can play, play first. It's not like they need Dahlbeck to come in right away. He could go back to the minors. He could be a bench bat for them who can hit for some power. And he can grow over the course of the next, you know, four or five years for them, maybe into something that is better than what it would be for the Red Sox. But right now, I don't think the Red Sox need Dahlbeck. They get Hosmer. He solves their issues for this season and this World Series run. He plays for them next year. And then we just evaluate. Where are we at between Hosmer and Cassis at that point? But I don't think that this team needs Dahlbeck. They've got answers at first. They've got answers at third. I think Devers is a guy that are going to bring back long term. At DH, I don't know. But I'll play that game two or three years down the road. Right now, th- this this deal helps Haim Bloom in every way that he likes to be helped. Hosmer upgrades first base for this year's World Series run. The prospects that I trade Dahlbeck for ultimately help me build a sustainable winner. And that's what High and Bloom wants to do. High and Bloom is very creative. This would be a creative deal. It would require a sign-off from ownership on taking on Hosmer's contract and understanding that there's risk in that contract at the end of it. But it's a deal that I would make. The opportunity to upgrade my team now while also buying prospects for the future, and all I have to give up is Bobby Dahlbeck, a guy who, you know, strikes out in, in you know, a third of his plate appearances or more, that's something that I'm willing to do. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You know, we spoke last week to Todd Woodcroft. Todd Woodcroft, the UVM men's hockey coach, said that he anticipated anywhere between four and six players or commits to UVM being drafted this weekend. We ultimately saw three, Okay. We ultimately saw three Catamount recruits or current players get drafted. I would say that number is mildly disappointing based on the expectations that we had, but it's still a huge success considering where this team has been in the past. Here was Todd Woodcroft to the media on Saturday night after the draft was over. What it's talking about is the present right now of the program, but also the future and what we're building towards. And I think when you can have players on your roster who have been recognized by the greatest league in the world as being one of 200-odd people to be drafted to be the property of an NHL team, that shows that we're marching in the right direction. It does show that UVM is marching in the right direction. Again, three is mildly disappointing when I thought maybe there'd be five or six. But all in all, this is still a huge win for the UVM men's hockey program. It's the first time since 2007 that three commits or current players were drafted in the same draft, and it does signify the changing of this program. It's really hard to build a program, essentially from scratch, and that's really what Todd Woodcroft is doing in the midst of a global pandemic when recruiting should be even harder to do. Think about this like a business. If you start a business and you've got a great idea and you know you, you've, you've got a great idea and you think that it might be great, you're going to start out you can't pay guys a hundred grand a year. you can pay guys 30. So guys you know they stay for a bit, they leave for bigger offers or ultimately they just kind of fall into performing like guys who make thirty thousand dollars a year. It takes a really long time, but eventually you can pay 50. Eventually, you can pay seventy-five, and eventually, you're the company that can pay one hundred thousand. That takes a long time and a lot of building and a lot of effort. It's an uphill battle. That's essentially where Todd Woodcroft is. He is fighting the uphill battle. But instead of it taking a really long time to get from that thirty thousand salary that you can offer to that fifty thousand salary that you can offer, Todd Woodcroft is getting there a lot quicker than I would have anticipated. He has laid the foundation here. There's a buzz around the program that I haven't seen since they beat Michigan on opening weekend about four years ago. There's a buzz in Catamount country. There are pieces and players here that are exciting. There's commitments by the administration to the coaching staff, Mike Babcock, in last year. The strength coach comes in from the Edmonton Oilers. There's a commitment from the administration. There's a dedication on the part of Todd Woodcroft. And he has laid the foundation much quicker 
than I ever thought would be possible. He's already getting guys in. I said this last week. I really thought that Todd Woodcroft, in order to turn the program around, was going to have to get a bunch of plucky underdogs for a couple of years. And they, by the time they were seniors, they were going to overachieve, and they were going to do something special, and then the big-name prospects would come. This this is not happening like that. Instantly, Todd Woodcroft is bringing in guys with NHL bodies and NHL projections and NHL futures. And the more guys that he gets like that, the more attention that Vermont gets, the more enticing that Vermont gets on the recruiting trail, and the quicker and quicker this thing will snowball. I don't know when the next time that UVM will play for a conference title is. I don't know that. But I know that finally, for the first time that I've been here, for the first time since I've been here, UVM is really, they're in the conversation And I'd have to think that long-term, I feel better about this program's future than Maine, Merrimack, UConn. Like, there, I feel better about UVM than those programs. And, you know, if UVM can just get into the top six, that alone is a huge accomplishment, and that opens up doors and opportunity for even more growth. And I think that UVM can get there far quicker than I anticipated when Todd Woodcroft arrived. I've got to give... Todd Woodcroft, a lot of credit. I was, you know, he and I have a good relationship now when it comes to interviewing, and he loves to come on the show, and he's gracious or grateful, or we're grateful rather for his time. He's gracious with his time. But when Todd Woodcroft got got hired, I said, "Look, I don't know if a guy who's never coached college hockey can coach college hockey. I don't know if a guy who doesn't have." experience recruiting can recruit at the level that this program needs. Well, Todd Woodcroft has proved me and anyone else wrong in that regard. He's got the network. He's got the resume. He's got the pro experience that these guys are coveting. And he has scoured the world for talent. Kazakhstan, Finland, Canada, the U.S., Sweden. He has found Every, he has found talent everywhere. So can Todd Woodcroft do the job? Absolutely. Was I wrong? Absolutely. And the fact that they've got three players drafted, you know, barely a calendar year after Todd Woodcroft got hired, signifies to me a real excitement and a real growth about this Catamount program. And I frankly can't wait now for October. You know, we're, we're you know, three months away from the time the season will start. And I've never been more excited about Catamount Hockey than I am right now. It's the Brady Farkas Show, the expanded version, right here on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. All right, we do it every single day. Who's saying what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I don't I don't like the signing. <laughs> I'm not happy about the signing. Okay. I think about 99.5 of New England is upset with this news today. They really said that? Having him back in the dugout obviously makes me want to beat them more. We don't like those guys. They don't like us. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. All right, we just had Doug Kide on on the live version of the show from Pro Football Focus, covered the Patriots for a number of years at Nesson, so certainly knows the Pats very, very well. I asked Doug about the effect of playing in front of a full crowd on Cam Newton. It's something that he didn't get last year. And I said, look, is Cam going to rally behind the momentum of the crowd and play better, or is he going to fall to you know the boos and jeers and pressure and shrink in the moment? Here's what Doug Kite had to say to us. There's just a vibe and an aura around Gillette Stadium, you know, given the last 20 years of the Patriots' Patriots success. And that's something that Cam Newton didn't get to experience yet as a home player. So I'm really curious to see how he does face that pressure, how he stands up to it. I think Cam Newton is going to respond well to the pressures of this season. I think Cam Newton is a guy that we don't give enough credit to in terms of all the adversity and all the pressure he's already dealt with in his career. You know, look, he made a huge mistake when he was younger, got kicked out of Florida, goes to junior college. With that, there comes pressure and accountability. Goes to Auburn, plays in a national championship game, wins the Heisman Trophy. With that, in that season, there's pressure and expectations. 
He goes number one in the draft. There's instant pressure and expectations. He signs a huge contract. Instant pressure and expectations. He comes to Foxborough and has to replace Tom Brady. Instant expectations. You talk about, you know, Doug says there's an energy and an aura around Gillette Stadium. Well, there's a Tom Brady effect around one Patriot place, and Cam Newton dealt with it all of last year. I don't think that Cam Newton is going to be intimidated by the crowd. If the crowd doesn't love him, I think he will be hurt by it, but I don't think that it's going to cause him pressure. I don't think he's going to go into games or series thinking, what will the crowd say if I do X, Y, or Z, or if something happens? I don't see any of that. I also think, I really think that if Cam comes out early and plays well, the crowd is going to respond and love him. The Patriot fans have been forced out of their building since 2019, since the end of the 2019 season. They've waited a long time, and I don't think that that means that they'll be real patient upon getting back, but they want to embrace their team again. They want to embrace their players again. I think Patriot fans will go into the 2021 season looking for things to love rather than things to bitch about. And if Cam Newton plays well, I think Patriot fans are absolutely going to jump on the Cam Newton bandwagon. They're going into this season looking for hope, looking for things to fall in love with. They've been away from their team for so long. They've been away from their team for so long. They're looking for something to rally behind. And Cam Newton, if he's playing well, can be that thing that they can rally behind. And I only think that having those fans there will ultimately uplift Cam. Cam is a guy who's dealt with a lot of pressure before, and I think he's dealing with a lot of internal pressure. Nothing that the crowd or the media does to him, I think, at this point will break him down. The only thing that can break Cam down is Cam himself. But I do think that the crowd can play huge dividends, can pay huge dividends for him, especially if he's playing well. All right, I want to finish up here on the Brady Farkas Show, the expanded conversation, by bringing back in part-time Jack, who was with us on the live version, obviously. And, you know, Jack, I mentioned this in the live version. I mentioned this earlier in the expanded conversation. I, I am interested at least in the idea of acquiring Eric Hosmer and prospects for somebody like Bobby Dahlbeck. I'm interested in that. I know it's not perfect. I know there's risk, especially long-term, but I'm interested in it for the Red Sox. I think it helps them now, and I think it helps them with the prospects in the future. You're much more focused on the right now with this 2021 team. So you've got guys you want the team to be interested in, and I know you had a couple of names you wanted to bounce by me. Absolutely, and... The, the the matter of the fact is that I think Heim's living this fairy tale dream of trying to be able to compete every single year. And I think for Heim, competing every single year means making the playoffs. And while that was a reality 10, 20 years ago, it's not the reality in modern day baseball. So I've got a list of, it looks like 10 names up here. Um, I want to bounce off. You don't have to go through all of them. I'll go through the most important ones. Definitely the most important part of need, piece of need for the Red Sox is in the pitching staff. It doesn't really matter if it's rotation, bullpen, they just need arms and they also need a first base bat. So I have a few names here with a few viable trade partners. Brady, you ready to go? Yes. All right, here we go. First name is starter Zach Wheeler from the Philadelphia Phillies. Absolutely. Absolutely not. The likelihood is zero. He's, he's obviously he's phenomenal. He's having a great year. Uh, he's under contract for a long time. It's got to be at least four years left at this point. Um, so he, it's not that he is too expensive. If he was a free agent and you told me that there were four years left and X amount of dollars, he would be worth it. What he's not worth is the significant prospect capital that it would take. You'd probably be looking at, you know, two top 10 prospects and another top 30 prospect for Wheeler. And that still may not be enough, and that's too much of of Bloom's future uh, for now. As good as Wheeler is, you know, he's a guy who's been injured before. He's got to be approaching thirty if he's not there already. Um, so I, I would say there's zero chance of that. And not to mention the Phillies with Dave Dombrowski, like they're in it. 
Every year they're in it. Whether they're going to win it or not, they're in the conversation every year. They've got too much invested between Bryce Harper and company, Real Muto. They're, they're not rebuilding. They're looking to win, and Wheeler's part of that for them. Fellow Philadelphia Philly pitcher Zach Eflin. On the injured list right now, so I would say uh, certainly more of a uh, a controllable piece at an affordable rate for High and Bloom. So certainly a guy, you know, in the Nick Pavetta mold who they got last year, who they could get and have for a longer period of time. But once again, the Phillies are in it every year with Dave Dombrowski. I don't think they're selling off assets, especially the few young controllable assets that they have. And he's hurt right now, so. It's not something I want to do if I'm the Red Sox, and not something that I'd expect the Phillies to do, too. A guy that's having a career year right now and is familiar with the organization, Cincinnati Reds left-hander Wade Miley. Uh, what's his contract status? Can I look that up real quick? Yes, you may. And I believe he is on a very team-friendly deal. So Wade Miley is on a two-year $15 million deal, of which I believe this is year one. Of. This is year two. He's a free agent next year. Oh, he's a free – okay. free. Oh, that's right. Last year of the COVID season kind of runs into me here. Uh, I'd certainly say it's a guy that I'd be interested in, um, you know, but uh, – and no, he's a free agent after next season. So no, after the season. Free he's, a free agent. he's a free agent in 2023. I'm looking it up right now. I have on per baseball reference free agent twenty twenty two. He might have an option for next year. He, he has a he has a club option for next season. A team so, option, yes. Yeah. So he's a free agent after uh I'd be interested. He's thirty five years old though. I don't really need a long term I don't need a more long term rotation piece considering that next year I bring back my entire staff, maybe minus Erod, but I got Hauk there, I got Sale back, so um I would say I'm much more interested, and I think he's more attainable than the other guys that you just gave me. But he is, uh, you know, the Reds are on the peripheries of the uh, playoff race also. I don't know that he's somebody that they would sell either at a relatively affordable rate. Los Angeles Angels reliever Rocio Iglesias. Uh, I would say he's available. The Angels are maybe right at 500 as we tape this. They're on the periphery of the playoff race too, although they're, you know, they're still, they got a significant of a number of teams to jump up on. So, uh, they won't fully sell. They'll get Mike Trout back. They have Otani. They need to be, you know, involved every year, but Iglesias is a guy who very well may be, you know, I got to get his contract up too. When all these guys become free agents is, uh, you know, running together with me, but I think he's a free agent at the end of the year also, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he is a free agent at the end of this year, as I was, as I said. So I'd be interested in him. Um, he's making probably less than $5 million right now. Wouldn't take a ton to get him. Uh, I think the Red Sox need to add to that bullpen to account for injuries and, you know, maybe some guys for performance potentially at the end of the year. Iglesias would be a guy I would be interested in. So all these guys, I'm trying to, they're, I would hope that they would be at least somewhat cheap with the exception of Zach Wheeler. Um, that was kind of a far-fetched one. But Pittsburgh Pirates pitcher Richard Rodriguez. Uh, another guy i got to look up the contract situation for. I just saw that the A's are interested in him. The Pirates are firmly in sell mode. I mean, so Rodriguez is a free agent after 2023. Um, certainly a guy I would be interested in. He fits high and Bloom's mold of good now, but also good in the future, you can never have too many bullpen arms. He's making, you know, an affordable rate right now. He's not even making $2 million this season. He'll go up in arbitration. I'd be interested in him. He's good now, good in the future. He'd cost you a a prospect probably, in the Red Sox case, a top 10 prospect, given that their farm system isn't particularly good. If he was going to Tampa or Seattle somewhere with a better farm system, I'd say it's probably a top 20 prospect, but... For the Red Sox, you know, another team's 20 is their 10. So I'd be interested in it. And as long as I'm not giving up Hauk, Duran, Wong, Downs, you know, outside of those guys, uh, Seabold, I'd probably be okay parting with almost anything. Okay. Now my favorite trade partner, 
that the Red Sox could partner up with this July is the Chicago Cubs. And now I have four names from the Cubs. Oh, my. Okay. Trade for. Okay. We're going to start. We're going to keep it on the pitching side. Craig Kimbrell, likelihood that he reunites with the Boston Red Sox. Uh, I would say little. think he costs too much. Decent money. That's not really the money is not the issue to me. Prospect capital is the biggest to me. The, the Cubs control his rights through next year. They can always hold on to him and trade him in the offseason. They can always hold on to him and trade him next year at the trade deadline if they're out of it. So probably probably no one, Kimbrell. Uh, who else? Who else you got for me from the Cubs? Utility man, David Bodie. Um, again, I have to look at the contracts and stuff. I'm not following him, you know, extensively right now. They've got utility guys in Santana, Marwin, Chavis. They've got a lot of utility type players. I am Bloom, I certainly don't think is, you know, closing that avenue, but I think there are other guys that fill other needs before I start talking about utility guys. Another guy on a one-year deal, Matt Duffy. Uh, I haven't been following Matt Duffy at all. Can't tell you how he's doing. And the fact that I haven't heard much about him leads me to believe he's not worth a whole lot. So I'll probably say he'd be cheap to acquire, but not somebody that I'm, you know, banging down the door to go get. I believe Matt Duffy is a underrated trade target. He's hitting about 270 right now, swinging the sweet, sweet stick from the left-hand side. He also fills that first base hole. And the number one trade target for the Boston Red Sox, in my opinion, Anthony Rizzo. Um, I mean, yeah, I'd be interested. He's not having that great a year. Uh, I think he's got reverse splits, so you know, you'd be bringing him in for the idea that he could hit righties and Dahlbeck could hit lefties, but Rizzo is actually hitting lefties better than he's hitting righties this year, so it doesn't really fit that narrative. Good clubhouse guy, has won a World Series before. The Red Sox clearly have targeted guys who have won before when you think about Kike and uh, you know other guys that they brought in this year that have a World Series pedigree, Marvin Gonzalez. So he fits that narrative, left-handed, plays good defense, good leader, good clubhouse guy. I could see it. Um, you know, the Cubs have tried to um, get an extension with him. Nothing has happened, obviously, now as we sit here. So I would say it's possible, um, and I would not be against it completely, but I think I'd rather – have my Hosmer and two prospects deal rather than Rizzo at this point. All right. Looking at the other side of it, what is the likelihood that Boston parts with Michael Chavis? 100% if they can. 100%. They they just don't need him. And we talked about this a lot last week, and you were on vacation last week. Um, you know, Bloom was on a you know the Steve Lyons, Sean McAdam podcast, and he said, look, sometimes a guy – is better in one situation than another. That to me is Chavis. He's just not needed here. He's good. He's average at everything and great at nothing. And so therefore all he is to me is depth at this point. And if he can go to a lesser than team and become a starter or go to the NL where his versatility can be more fully exploited, that, that would be a good thing. If they could give up Chavis for Rizzo, I'd do it in a heartbeat. If they could give up Chavis for a reliever, that was good. I'd do it in a heartbeat. I just don't think he has a future on this team. The only reason why he's even necessary now is because Marvin Gonzalez and Danny Santana are injured. And if they were here, Chavis wouldn't be that big a part of this team right now. He's kind of been forced into a bigger role than he deserves. But uh, I would say that uh, Chavis is clearly on the block, and Sean McAdam from that Red Sox podcast told us so on Friday. So of the deals that you gave me, reliever is where I like the best. I think the Red Sox need to address reliever. They need depth pitchers, so relievers preferably, starters that can swing kind of next. So I'm in favor of an Iglesias. I'm in favor of a Rodriguez. I'm in favor of... You know, looking at Wade Miley or looking at Kyle Gibson and, you know, just kind of piecemealing everything together here as we move through the rest of the season. But they're getting back sale. They have Hauk and they're going to get back Andrees. So I don't love, but he's going to come back and they're, and they uh, are getting back Ryan Brazier at some point. So they're bringing in back a significant number of pitchers as it is. So they don't need to go out and get 10 of them, but I'd be four relievers. 
I'd be for a swing starter, and then I'm really for first base, and that's kind of where my Hosmer deal fits in. So, uh, you know, if Hosmer is not there and Rizzo can be had for cheap, I'd be fine with that too. But, you know, I also, if you're acquiring Hosmer, as I said, I give away Dahlbeck. I trade Dahlbeck. But if you're getting Rizzo and just kind of stashing Dahlbeck in AAA, you know, you are stunting his development. And at some point you got to figure out, well, what am I trying to do with Dahlbeck here? What's my long-term play? Because my play with Hosmer is pretty simple. Trade away Dahlbeck. Hosmer plays first base for me for two years, this year and next year. And then in 2023, we see where we're at with Cassis. And maybe Hosmer can still be my guy at 34, 35, or maybe Cassis is ready here and I cut bait with Hosmer if the Sox are willing to eat the money. And uh, I think the Hosmer thing makes a lot of sense. So, uh, What about Carlos Santana potentially? Uh, a guy who I think would absolutely be available had had a decent year for the Royals. I mean, except for some power, always has had a good eye. Uh, I think could be good in that clubhouse too. Has been a part of playoff teams before when he was in Cleveland. The Royals and Red Sox have linked up, obviously, once before under High and Bloom when you talk about the Benintendi trade. So I think there's some continuity there. Royals are looking to rebuild. He's a switch hitter, is Santana. He's got a low batting average, as I recall this year, but, you know, does hit for some power veteran leadership. So I think, you know, we've talked for an additional 15 minutes here. The bottom line is this. The trade deadline is fun. This speculation is fun. The direction this team can go is fun. I don't believe that the Red Sox need to make a move in order to win. I think this team has gotten this far as presently constructed. I think they are good enough to go without a move, but I think they should make a move to send a message to the organization that we believe in this team. But I also don't think they have to go crazy. You listed 10 moves. I don't think they need to make more than one, maybe two of them. But uh, it is a fun time. So part-time Jack, you're back at it again with me on Thursday. And uh, this has been the Brady Farkas Show expanded conversation on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and always at WDEVradio.com. I'll see you tomorrow, everybody, at 530 right here on WDEV.